Welcome to this week's energy show. Wow, the stock market has been quite volatile recently. There's questions about the Federal Reserve interest rates. There's questions about inflation, or you know, I heard the deflation word on the radio yesterday. There's issues about tariffs going up, going down, possibly getting settled. And there's questions about the overall economy. Basically, it just means a lot of uncertainty. Now, many listeners to the energy show also invest in the energy industry. And we're talking about investments. They may be financial investments, but a lot of people are invested in their career in the energy industry, whether that's fossil fuels to wind to EVs and certainly solar. So if you're investing in the energy industry, what should you do? Well, my guest on this week's energy show is Sean Kravitz. Sean's the president of Esplanade Capital, LLC. And Sean and I have crossed paths many times at Akina and Westinghouse Solar. His firm's based in Boston, hence the Esplanade name. He manages capital for families, private investors, and institutions. His focus is on superior long-term capital appreciation. And I'm just really happy to have him on the show to get his insights into energy investing. So welcome to the show, Sean. Thanks so much. Very nice to be here. All right, great. Tell us a bit more about Esplanade Capital. So I had always been a business guy, and 19 years ago, I launched what I used to call the world's smallest hedge fund. In fact, it wasn't, but we began investing through our own proprietary hard work, research, and due diligence around the world to make a limited number of what we expected to be very high-quality investments. About 15 years ago, we began investing in solar. Previously, I hadn't been an energy guy or a technology guy, but after months and months of hard work and research and analysis around the world, we really decided that solar reminded us a lot of technology in the early 90s, a lot of very high-quality companies growing rapidly, addressing very large, growing markets with some great management teams. And whereas in the U.S., uh, it really wasn't a way of life, at least in virtually all of the United States. But if you spend some time in southern Germany or in Japan, it was increasingly becoming a way of life. That was very attractive to us. And last but not least, being boring, value-oriented investors, some of these companies actually did a crazy thing for hyper-growth sort of next-generation companies. They actually made money. When we put all that together, it was very compelling to us, and we started to deploy partner capital about 15 years ago into the solar sector. As you might expect, solar investing generally has been a rocky ride, but we absolutely love doing it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's been a rocky ride. I'd say certainly from a customer standpoint, I can't think of any customers I've had over like 20 years that have made a poor investment in solar. You put the systems in, they work, and the customers always get a good return on their investment. So specifically in solar, what are some of the hot categories that you've seen over the past dozen years or so? Well, as you said, you know, the personal decision to put solar on your roof is often a wonderful one. You control it, the sun shines, it works. You can do the numbers there. We invest only in publicly traded companies. And as you mentioned at the outset, those go up and down every minute of the day. And it's been a very challenging sector for the past several years for most investors. With that said, we look across the entire spectrum of solar from way upstream manufacturers of polysilicon, who really turn sand into dust, 
all the way downstream through wafer manufacturing, cell manufacturing, integrated module makers around the world to installers and residential installers, as well as asset owners, you know, yield vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. Everywhere throughout the value chain, that's where we look for investments. And increasingly over the years, what has happened is that more and more companies we care about are not classically defined as solar companies. Much like 15 years ago, very few people would have looked at MEMC Electronics, which later became Sun Edison, and said, wow, that's a solar company. They would have said, oh, that's a you know, a wafer maker that serves the semiconductor industry. Well, in fact, if you had had the insight to say, actually, solar is an increasingly large portion of their business and their profit and their future, that was a real insight that said that's actually a solar company in disguise. Increasingly, more and more companies look like that. And the solar continues to get larger and larger and impacts more companies, more industries. More and more companies are being impacted by solar. That includes storage and increasingly some traditional utilities. Yeah, we it's, did all of it. It's interesting. As you may know, we renamed our company from Cinnamon Solar to Cinnamon Energy Systems at the beginning of last year because we're seeing so much interest in battery storage. And when we look at the inverters and the equipment out there, we're looking at it with the specific eye towards making sure that that equipment can work with future storage systems, virtual power plants, really good monitoring, software, things like that. So, and then you see what's happening with the organizations like the California Solar Energy Association is now called the California Solar and Storage Organization. SEPA, which I think used to be the Solar Electric Power Association, is now the Smart Energy and Power mm-hmm. Association. So everybody's moving towards that. How do you see the investments in battery storage and things like that affecting solar? They're going to matter a lot. You know, when I turned the page back over nine years ago when we launched Dedicated Solar Fund, we thought long and hard about what do you call this? You know, the first fund and the firm, Esplanade, that was easy. That was Boston. That was our birthplace. But we didn't want to call it solar. We called it electron because that's what it's about. It's not about solar per se. It's about the electron. So to answer your question, when we think about storage, it is vitally important. You know, storage has been a year away from becoming a big thing for the past 10 or 15 years. But we're finally there because of the experience curve, very similar to that which we've seen in solar panel manufacturing and solar installation. Prices have finally come down enough to open up enough economic markets around the world. You know, on the residential side, we see more and more solar plus storage systems being installed. To us, solar is really the icing on the cake. It is going to open and unleash a lot of new markets, a lot of incremental business over the next few years, and the timing couldn't be better. You know, after a very challenging 2018 for the solar industry globally, solar is poised to grow quite impressively again in 2019, and the storage component will only turbocharge the growth of the industry over the next several years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I see energy storage pretty much the exact same phase that solar was at back in 2000, 2001. It's still going to take a few years. The big difference, and because we're about 20 or 30% of our customers are putting in energy storage systems, it might represent about you know, 30 or 40% of our revenue this year. But the difference is 
that software and communications is much more important with the energy storage combined with solar than just ordinary solar. So the level of expertise that it takes to put these systems in, and, and indeed the maintenance that's required, is very different than putting an old-fashioned, you know, kind of bulletproof string inverter on the side of a house and putting solar panels up. That's the only difference. But there's no doubt in my mind that these combined solar and storage systems are going to be ubiquitous once the costs come down. And it's not just the battery cost. It's what we in the industry call the soft cost because it's just so complicated. Absolutely. And, you know, we've seen that in traditional plain old vanilla solar when, you know, when we started, solar module was cost three or four dollars a watt. Today, it's essentially 25 cents. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Uh, continue to see that in the storage side. It opens up vast, vast markets. Yeah, yeah. So anything else that you want to talk about as far as uh, energy categories and from a technology standpoint? Otherwise, I'd love to get your insights into kind of more of the global economy and what's going on with energy companies all over the world. You know, for us, it's interesting. I guess I'd close saying it's never really been a technology play. People want it to be, but a lot of the leading companies have been about manufacturing and taking costs out and opening up new markets and marketing and biz dev, et cetera. It's been in thoughtful financial structuring, et cetera. It hasn't been about technological breakthroughs. And while certainly there have been some examples, you know, we point to a wonderful company like SolarEdge, for example, that really has been a technology leader and a cost leader, I might add. But by and large, a lot of it has just been doing it better, faster, cheaper, more, et cetera. And so we spend a lot of time on, you know, in the venture world and in the private company world looking for things that might have been the next first solar or that could impact the current first solar. Yet in 15 years, it's really been primarily companies that have just done it better, faster, cheaper, et cetera. But again, in ultimately a commodity business, which is turning the lights on in your house, we think the industry is at a very, very exciting moment where it can return to great growth, both in this country and around the world. And that's very exciting for us, almost irrespective of, you know, for example, what the stock market does next year. Yeah, well, that's a good topic for us to talk about next. Okay, so Sean, the economy is kind of going through a lot of changes right now. How would a potential recession or significant interest rates change energy investing? So at the macro level, a very meaningful and rapid rise in interest rates would hurt the stock market, you know, full stop. Also, when you think about making a long-term investment in an asset, whether it's plant or a power plant or a little power plant called the solar system, you know, interest rates rising rapidly can dampen the returns on those investments. With that said, certainly as the world thinks about putting solar on their roof, it makes all the sense in the world in so many geographies and even increases in interest rates won't hurt it that much because the returns are so attractive to a lot of homeowners and a lot of commercial and industrial applications, it'll still make sense. With that said, with all of the concern over interest rates, et cetera, 
the 10-year, the benchmark 10-year <laughs> rate has actually collapsed in recent weeks. The 10-year, which broke through 3% and looked like it was going to the moon, has collapsed to well under 3%. So again, it is the person who is able to predict long-term interest rates, has a lot of profit to be generated and can be doing great things with his or her time. In our view, yes, the Fed is likely to continue to raise rates a bit, but markets are saying that they could just as easily begin lowering rates yeah. as soon as a year out. Yeah, God We're knows. We're overly yeah. concerned. Who knows what's going to happen? The yield curve was inverted, then it was inverted, and that's slightly inverted again, so it's kind of crazy. I, I kind of look at it from the standpoint of kind of no matter what happens, happens with interest rates as long as they go up to, you know, as long as don't go to double digits, electric rates are still going to keep going up. So if you've got electric rates going up at 5% a year and interest rates at 2 or 3%, That's the benchmark. You know, you're, still, That's right. you're still locked into increasing benefits rather than decreasing benefits. Now, we talked about the interest rates. Now, how are tariffs affecting the performance of some of the energy companies and the energy investments you're considering? So they have impacted them quite dramatically, but most of that story has played out. You know, solar, for better or for worse, was really a pioneer in the entire global trade war. You know, before all of the most recent China tariffs, before 301, and there was 201. You know, solar, I never thought that solar and washing machines would be on the cutting edge of any <laughs> global macroeconomic story, but really solar was. The good news is most of that damage is done. It's all baked in. And while, yes, the trade wars have raised prices for importing solar panels, for example, into the United States, which are the vast majority of the panels used in the United States, a lot of that happened just as the global solar industry was having a very challenging 2018. You know, that was a challenge that we predicted back in 2017, and it came true. And what happened was that prices across the value chain collapsed. So while the net prices to an end user went up because of the tariff, that was really mitigated because prices fell for solar panels because of a glut. Yeah. Just the supply glut. Yeah. In the first year in recorded history where global solar installations actually fell, they actually fell in 2018. That would have been heresy if you had suggested that a year prior because the market grew at 30% year after year after year. Well, things actually fell in 2018, but that actually help mitigate some of the increased costs due to tariffs. Yeah, now it just amazes me when I talk to some of my manufacturing friends overseas in Asia, you know, they're like their costs for panels are 25 cents a watt and for a while there last year I was paying 60 or 70 cents a watt and they're still kind of high but mm -hmm. they've all kind of come down. The challenging thing is for the installation industry especially on the smaller business and, and certainly the residential side is a lot of our other costs have gone up. Our costs for racking have gone up. The inverter costs I just got a 4% increase at the beginning of the year. We knew about that. We stocked up a little bit but you know, just general inflationary pressures are, are just pushing everything up but you know, the, the and labor. And, and la oh, 
Don't even get me started. I mean, we're here in Silicon Valley. It's one of the most expensive labor locations in, in the world. And we want to have really well-trained people putting these systems in. You don't want untrained people on the roof. And that's a big increase. And I kind of look at around the world, Australia, where they're able to do installations for a buck and a quarter. I mean, heck, my, my labor costs are close to $2 a watt. Just and, and it's not just the direct labor. It's all the indirect labor. It's the permitting. It's the interconnection. It's the inspections. It's the engineering. It's You need an IT people in order to do these battery backup systems. It's just kind of complicated. Absolutely. So, huh. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the utility industry. There's a lot of press right now about PG&E and the troubles they're having. You know, there's the issue about the fires possibly causing a bankruptcy at, at PG&E. But the bigger question in general, I don't want to focus on PG&E because they're actually pretty good in terms of solar, but can the utility industry adopt to the changes in the distributed generation technology? How can they compete with a business or a homeowner putting solar and storage in and getting much less expensive power and more reliable power? Well, it's going to be a very mixed bag, Barry. Some will and some will not. You know, several years ago, we were short a number of German utilities because Germany started to install so much solar, you know, seven gigawatts a year for three years in a row. They absolutely crushed spot electricity peak prices. And though it happened at about the same time as the Fukushima disaster and the nuclear fallout, um, you know, these companies were destroyed. Now, a lot of nations and utilities have learned from the German example. The problem is, it is a business model that is dependent on investing more and more money. The more and more money I invest, the more I get to rate base, et cetera, et cetera. So there are going to be winners and losers, and those that have embraced solar and found a way to profit from it, as opposed to view it as the enemy, purely the competitor, et cetera, et cetera, are going to be relatively advantaged. Those that try to fight it, that do not benefit from it, for whom it is purely a competitor, those are going to be structurally disadvantaged. You know, we've seen it, obviously, in Germany. We've seen it elsewhere in Europe. It's still early days in the U.S., but it's an exciting soap opera to watch. Yeah, and we're experiencing it all the time. I just don't see how that business model, based on a return on net assets that the utilities have, can compete when the assets are getting cheaper and cheaper, and so cheap indeed that the customers can install those assets and generate power. I mean, heck, the PPA rate is two or three cents a kilowatt hour. I think it's maybe three cents, including storage. For home customers, it's six or seven cents a kilowatt hour, not including storage. Mm -hmm. And that just is ridiculously cheaper compared to the average residential electric rate in California, which is close to $0.22. Cents. And I just don't see how they're ever going to be able to, to close that gap. So to me, the business model is going to have to change, but I don't see what business model is remaining for a conventional investor-owned utility when they're trying to, you know, they're motivated to generate maximum return on assets. I would much rather run a residential solar company today, that's for sure. And that's why, again, you know, residential in the U.S. has been the bright spot. Residential is the only sector of solar that uh, grew in the United States in 2018, and it'll likely grow very handsomely this year in 2019. Yeah, the residential... The chagrin of the big guys. Yeah, the residential is growing. I just have California as a microcosm here. The commercial, just as much potential there. It's just, unfortunately, it requires financing, and there's a little bit of 
uncertainty there, but commercial is good. And then I just look at all the utility scale installations that are going in, not on the coast, not in California, not on the East Coast, but they're going in all over the country. And that's going to soak up a lot of solar panels. I agree. Utility will be gangbusters in 2019. After, again, after a couple of challenging years, utility scale is booming. So how can potential investors profit from companies that are just addressing climate change? I mean, we're talking about pure economics for solar now, but are there ways to take advantage of these companies who are providing climate change benefits to customers? Well, we at Esplanade are very focused on solar and those companies that are impacted by solar. You have continued to go back and back to the economics, which are generally so attractive for you know, a homeowner or for other types of solar investors. We view climate change policy and advocacy as, again, yet another tailwind to a fundamental story in solar, which we think is looking very, very good in 2019. And so for us, it comes down to security selection. What are the companies that are relatively advantaged, where expectations are low, where valuations are, in some cases, incredibly undemanding, where they can deliver solid business results, exceed expectations over the next couple of years, where climate change and any of sort of the front page big picture stuff is only going to be additional tailwind to their business and to their outlooks. We think there's a lot to do in the solar universe today. We just think that after a very, very tough year, in some ways the toughest year solar has ever endured, uh, the surviving companies, the surviving public companies in many cases have attractive valuations and are poised to deliver very compelling returns over the coming quarters and couple of years. Yeah, I totally agree. And hence, that's where I've got my career. Anyway, how can people get in touch with you at Esplanade Capital? Although I do want to be clear that as a hedge fund, we are not soliciting or anything of that nature. We do have a very modest website, and you know we love talking about investing. We like talking about some of our investments and our work in solar, etc. So we're pretty easy to track down, and we love you know conversations about the future of solar and how the companies we care about may succeed or fail therein. Well, I love talking to fellow solar enthusiasts enthusiasts and longtime cheerleaders. Anyway, that's all the time we have on this week's Energy Show. And thanks, Sean, for joining me on today's show. And also, thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you missed any of today's show, you can always go to our website at cinnamon.energy and listen to the podcasts. 